Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake, for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The Gospel of the Lord. There is a Gregorian story that is a story that comes out of the religious community of which I'm a part, where a new novice, new brother of the community, was so zealous about the vow of poverty that he went out immediately after he was made a novice and sold his car, gave the money away. He wrote in his Embertide report that he had done this, and he made note that as a consequence, he lost his job because he couldn't drive to work anymore. 
At which point the Council of the Brotherhood sat down and said, I think we need to rethink about how we teach about the vow of poverty. This is not the intent. Just this week I was talking with Joe Jennings, who's teaching the slow religion class on the Gospel of Mark, and he said something that has stuck in my brain. He said, you know, Mark is surprisingly modern. And given the enigmatic passage we just heard, it makes perfect sense. Yes, Mark is surprisingly modern. This man who comes swanning into the Gospel and kneels at Jesus' feet could be from right here in southern Marin, could he not? He's a good guy. He knows the law, he's righteous, and he is a man clearly of means. He has wealth and property, and he wants to know, just like the rest of us wealthy folk, and I mean all of us, because by standards of world history and by even the measure of most contemporary humanity, we are all in this room wealthy. Think about the fact about the availability of food that you have, of a roof over your head, of some level of access to health care, of good public services, of reasonable political stability. You go out and walk on the street freely and not worry too much about that. We are wealthy by just about any measure. So he wants to know what we want to know, right? Isn't this partly why we're here this morning? How can I earn my place in the kingdom of God? What must I do, he asks, to inherit eternal life? The question is very telling, isn't it? What must I do? That's a transactional question. What do I have to do to earn this, he asks Jesus. Jesus goes straight to the heart of the law and lists some of the standard commandments. And the man probably, credibly, declares his own righteousness. He has been attending to all of these. And something remarkable here happens. Jesus looks at him and Mark tells us loves him. That's an odd statement in the Gospel of Mark. Just about everyone around Jesus doesn't get it, and Jesus is constantly frustrated and annoyed with them. But this is the rare instance he looks at someone and loves them. But the love here is like that passage from the letter to the Hebrews. It's almost as though Jesus can see right through this guy and he sees what the hang-up is. Now, it's stewardship season at Church of Our Savior. So this is a terrible passage to hear. Because you can imagine me standing up here with some justification now and saying, yes, give, give away everything you have and give away the money. Ideally, give some to the parish, please, we need it. But that's actually not what Jesus is getting at here, surprisingly, in this enigmatic teaching. 
Jesus realizes what is in the way for this man. Why he is so earnest to justify himself has to do with the fact that he is possessed of his possessions. And the tell on that, of course, is when Jesus says, give away what you own. Interestingly enough, he doesn't say everything, does he? And give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And what does the man do? He goes away grieving. Because, like us, he lives in a society where his value is measured by his wealth. And this is what the disciples can't get past either. They get all tangled up in this too. Jesus turns around and says how difficult it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples are standing there going, who then can be saved? Because they live in a culture somewhat like ours that believes there's something wrong with the poor and that people who are wealthy have some level of favor, maybe even divine favor, poured on them. So if the poor are in trouble and the wealthy can't be saved, well, who can be then by that simple logic. In our first reading today from Amos, beautifully read, I must add, from Michael. Thank you, Michael. We have the woes of a grumpy prophet. Amos was a most grumpy prophet, and if you know the prophets at all, you realize that's saying something, right? Most prophets are, by their very nature, grumpy people. Amos was particularly grumpy because he was called by God out of probably a reasonably comfortable and predictable life, the dresser of sycamore trees, as he put it, in his native Judah. Something we don't talk about enough, probably in church, is that at this time, there were two kingdoms in what we now call Israel. There was the northern kingdom centered in Samaria with its ritual center at Bethel, which you heard about today from Amos. And there was the southern kingdom, Judah, centered in Jerusalem. Amos comes out of the southern kingdom and goes to the northern kingdom of Israel at a time when the northern kingdom is enjoying enormous prosperity its military conquest is at its height, wealth is flowing, you might say the economy is good, and Amos is given the awful task of telling them, no, it's all messed up, and it's all going to hell in a handbasket, so get ready. You can imagine what happened to Amos as a consequence, right? At least one scholarly source tells us Amos was likely kicked out of Bethel, the ritual center in Israel, and he goes back with his tail between his legs to Judah. And then he does what every failed prophet does. He sits down and he writes his memoirs. So we have the text. We have the grumpy text of Amos. But Amos was there 
as long ago as almost 3,000 years, telling the Israelites, you know, your wealth is not where it's at. This is not your golden ticket to God's favor. Your military might is not where it's at. This is not how you earn God's regard. And like some of the other prophets, he even goes one step further and he talks about their festivals and their rituals and says, these won't buy you a ticket into heaven either. So then, the ancient Israelites might have said exactly what the disciples said. Who then can be saved? If none of this works, why are we doing it? Well, the problem here is that this is a transactional notion of our relationship with the divine. We all know this. This is how our society works. It's the quid pro quo, right? I bring something to the table, you bring something to the table, and then we will work things out and we'll have a contract. We'll have a transaction. But this is not how the kingdom of God works, Jesus is pointing out. And it's so hard for us to get it, just like it was so hard for the disciples to get it. Jesus goes to the deeper wisdom of the tradition which reminds us that we are born with nothing and we leave this life with nothing. There is nothing we can do to earn what we have in this life, really, at the end of the day. How many of you got to decide where you were born? Seriously, I'm not seeing any hands going. How many of you got to decide in which country you were born? How many of you got to decide how wealthy your family was, the family you were born into, or the educational opportunities that you were given simply by grace of where you were born? Do you see the point? Jesus is showing us that everything that we have is ultimately gift, not earned. And that is shocking, shocking to our whole understanding of how the world should work and how we often carry ourselves in our day-to-day -day lives. That is why he warns his followers after Peter steps out and sticks his foot in it once again, look, we've done everything right. We've left everything and followed you. Hint, hint, so tell us what we're going to get. Jesus says, sure, look around you. In this new community, this new family and what we call the kingdom, there are lots of brothers and sisters and mothers and lots of relatives and all kinds of places we can go and live in and be in freely, he says, but he warns them. You're part of the kingdom of God now. And the kingdom of God is actually foundationally antithetical to the ways of the world. Why? Because it's not transactional. 
So expect persecutions. Expect to be a little bit like the prophet Amos, being sent back to Judah with your tail between your legs. Maybe you'll have an opportunity to sit down and write your memoirs. This is the kingdom. Gift. Given for a world that is obsessed with transaction and possession. And it is given not to upset everything or to bewilder us. It is given because we are not called to a life that is fundamentally based on transaction. We are called to a life that is fundamentally based on what? Love. Gift. A free offering of everything that we are and everything that we have so that others might live. That is the gospel. Most of the time we'll be like the disciples. Well, who then can be saved? Jesus reminds them and reminds us what is impossible for mortals is possible for God. Remember, he's telling them, who made you? Who redeems you? He will never leave you alone. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.